You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clanergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, one step off the grid and the EV focused, the driven. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, um, different tone to your voice today, but not because of anything different to you, but um, you're in a motel room somewhere. You're travelling. <laughs> Uh, yes, indeed, uh, and I apologise for not having my nice rig uh, uh, with me, unfortunately. But yeah, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Melbourne. First trip post COVID, so it's very exciting. We were taking selfies at the airport and jumping for glee. Selfies at the airport and jumping for glee, <laughs> crikey, Nigel. Um, and what's the occasion down there? I understand there's a pretty significant um, solar event for the pioneers. For well, there is. That's that's old coming up. There. The, um, <laughs> this motel room thing's not working, Nigel. <laughs> no, uh, I'm down in Melbourne because uh, there's a warehouse opening, which doesn't sound like a big thing, but you know when a when a supply partners uh, uh, announced that they're opening a new big warehouse down here in Victoria, they invited all their um, key customers to come up and help them celebrate and share the good news, and so. Um, it's not really about a warehouse. It's about catching up with 50 or 60 or 70 um, uh, solar retailers and installers, which I'm very excited about and, you know, sharing some news and updates and good times and, and, and all that. So that's tonight. And then tomorrow we'll head back to Sydney uh, uh, for dinner with uh, a bunch of people who have come in early for the annual New South Wales SEA event. Uh, which is on Friday. So then we'll spend all of Friday with 100 or so people, uh, first event for the year, in fact, uh, with the SEA crew, which should be awesome. It's always a great day and lots of great things to learn. And then we'll wrap it all up, uh, a busy week, with uh, the second uh, Solar Pioneers event that Australia's ever seen. Uh, first one was held five years ago, and on Friday night, the second one will kick off. Um, that involves uh, something in the order of 100 people uh, coming along to celebrate, I guess, being old, really, because you have to have been in the industry for more than 25 years to get a ticket. Um, I think we sold out again this year, so, you know, there's plenty of people now uh, every five years that goes by, more people qualify and, um, you know, a, a very esteemed lineup of guests. I think uh, uh, Professor Martin Green, in fact, kicking off proceedings for the night. So lots of – I'm a bit frightened by what this week holds, Giles. <laughs> I'm sure you're more excited than frightened. Um, 100 people with 20, 25 years' experience. That's 2,500 years of solar experience out there on Friday night, uh, Nigel. We've got uh, we've got lessons uh, from old people up the wazoo. <laughs> Too sure that was the appropriate answer to my question, but still, or my statement. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and who is um, do we do we know who, the, who who's been in the who's officially been in the industry the longest? I mean, it must be Martin Green, must be pretty close. Um, 
um, would it be him? I mean, he must be coming up for 40 odd years. I mean, I don't, don't want to put a sort of an age on him or something like that, but um, um, there must be some people getting up pretty close to 50, I would have thought. Look, I don't know anyone who's got to 50. I certainly know several who are uh, over 40. Um, they will be there. Um, I think Jeff Stapleton, in particular, one of the organisers of the event, would be um, would be around forty years. And um, you know, when you look back at some of the very early, um, particularly the the scientists and the, um, the technologists who've been involved with UNSW, like Martin Green and lots of other people um, um, who've been you know sw- swimming around down there at UNSW, there's a there's a heap, mate. There's a heap. So you know, mm. on my th- my thirty years, you know, it does it pales into insignificance. Significance against some of some of the real elders of our industry. So, um, you know, I look forward to being treated like the young kid on the block. Well, that's great. Um, Nigel, what's um, what's mainly on our menu today? Because um, well, it's actually actually no, just before we go into the menu of today, it's interesting. It it is coming up to sort of conference time. I mean, there's a um, there's a wind industry forum uh, happening this week um, from the Clean Energy Council um, with people actually at an event. And, of course, then we're getting into the Smart Energy Council, um, their big conference in early May. So um, people are starting to get out and about, and I think a lot of people um, will, will enjoy and appreciate that. <laughs> A lot more people taking selfies at the airport. Yeah, yes, indeed. And and a couple more SEER events in between as well. SEER uh, Queensland have an event on the 30th of this month in Brisbane. And then on, uh, it's only a couple of days later, so it must be the, um, it might be the first, I think. In fact, it is the 1st of April in Townsville. Um, um, so great regional events uh, pushing up into Queensland. So there's two of those as well. And then by the time we catch our breath, yep, we'll be packing our booth up and heading down for the Smart Energy Show at the, I- uh, the ICC in, uh, in Sydney. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Now, um, a big major deadline coming up for the solar industry, new re-regulations from the clean energy regulator uh, about, mostly it's about information that you're giving to the consumer. Um, are these rules good and is everyone ready? Whoa, that's the million dollar question. I'm going to answer the first question by saying I don't see much downside to the first one. I think, um, Mm -hmm. you know, anything the CEO can do to, you know, help keep, um, uh, to protect the good players and to call out the bad players in our industry uh, more aggressively and to leverage the sort of punitive powers that they have as a regulator is going to be a good thing for our industry. Um, It will mean some you know, lumps and bumps and disruption along the way as everyone gets used to it. And, and you know, April 1st is only really two or three weeks away now. Um, so, you know, the the first sort of tangible, I guess, change that's coming about on April the 1st, and they, they have put up some draft forms uh, as examples of what's going to be required, but these are around declarations. And in particular retailer declarations so as a retailer you from april 1st will be required to make a whole lot of very very explicit and and quite deliberate declarations about 
you know, doing the right thing. Um, it's a, it, it's basically, you know, the retailer is required to put their name and their details and various other bits and pieces down on a form for every single job and make a declaration that they um, are responsible and doing the right thing and all those kinds of things. So uh, the CER are really going to use that to really, you know, try and keep, keep everyone honest. So... Um, that's the first step in a number of the, I think, 12 recommendations that were handed down in the review some months ago, uh, kicking off. So um, um, get ready. Mm. Is that going to work to the cost very much? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I think at this stage, you know, I think any any administrative cost will be pretty marginal. I mean, it's another thing that needs to be filled out. So another set of declarations on top of quite a number of pieces of paper that already have to be completed and submitted all over the joint. Um, the CEO has done a pretty good job of, um, of planning out some automation around this stuff and some of the previous work that they've done around the serial number validation program has now been built into, you know, STC apps and so forth so that they've really thought hard about making sure that it doesn't add unnecessary administrative burden. It's more to do than you would do, would have doing would have been doing before April 1st, though. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it's again, it's this it's this shift of focus towards whoever is the retailer rather than, you know, putting so much emphasis on the installer, which has always been um, uh, an area to focus attention on. Mm, OK, OK. So what else is happening? Um, well, the other one that I picked up on, actually, which I thought was a really fascinating and a good news story, and it's a segue too, but um, Sunshine Coast News published a story the other day about their solar array that uh, was subjected to flooding. Um, and, and, of course, you know, we've all... Um, uh, um, most people on the East Coast have been affected by flooding to one degree or another, and our heart um, felt condolences goes out to those who've been, you know, so so tragically affected like a lot of people were. But the Sunshine Coast Council um, issued a tender, oh, gosh, it would have to be seven, eight years ago now, and I remember that when the tender came out, I was actually involved around the fringes of it, and it was to build a fairly substantial solar array in a basically an old cane field that was a flood-prone area. And um, uh, everyone kind of went, oh, that's a bit crazy. And the specification called for the solar arrays to be elevated up, you know, one, one and a half metres from memory above the ground on these really high trestle frames and then all the electronic gear and all the switch gear had to be elevated even higher. And everyone kind of looked at this and went, geez, this is over the top. Well, sure enough, the whole site flooded. And there was an amazing photo of this entire solar array underwater the entire array um in fabulous news the sunshine coast council defended themselves quite quite validly i think and actually it proved proved that what they did in the initial um design stages and feasibility stages really was work well done the array went underwater the site was shut down and isolated from the grid temporarily while it was underwater when the water drained away they went and did an electrical inspection uh, they deemed that everything was safe. They turned the system back on and it fired straight back up. So, you know, what this highlighted was that, you know, you can design solar to withstand being submerged. 
uh, you know, intrinsically, solar panels are designed to go on a roof and be subjected to, you know, uh, every, every bit of weather. So, of course, they're IP rated and they're designed to be, you know, um, uh, in really tough conditions for their whole life. So, you know, but this this is another level of test that you've got water velocity and you've got silt and you've got mud and you've got erosion and you've got all these other issues, but it passed with flying colours. So I, I, I think it was a a really fabulous example of how we can build uh, arrays. I think full credit to the Sunshine Coast Council and and all the engineers and and everyone who was involved in that project who designed it so well. Um, and um, yeah, and it's a. I just think it's a wonderful story. Shows that you know we've got fabulous, hardworking and clever people working all around this industry. That's a pretty good story, Nigel, and um, sorry for interrupting, um, and I'm not too sure what's happening between our lines at the moment, but um, you heard my sort of interruption about 30 seconds after I actually made it, so it was quite actually funny, so I'm not too sure how that's going to play back on oh, the actual recording. Okay. <laughs> Bit of lag. Anyway, it's a good story. It's a good story. Hey, um, listen, look, I've, I've just, um, my little contribution is a um, is a bit of a survey um, that's going on, um, or just been an analysis, a bit of analysis from Rystad Energy, which is um, one of the main consultants around the place, and just sort of pointing out um, a bit of a prediction for global solar installations, reckoning it's um, running about 50 gigawatts a year now globally. Um, Australia accounts for about, um, between about sort of three, uh, well, over three in the last year. And um, it's going to sort of jump um, to about up to about ninety-seven gigawatts. This is just for rooftop solar installations. I should I should I should qualify rooftop solar installations um, over the next few years, which is which is pretty interesting. Um, and one of the things I was fascinated and look, it might not be um, news to everybody out there, but just the increased um, competitiveness of the Australian solar industry, as say compared to the US one. Um, particularly because the US industry just ha- has high, such high soft costs. For instance, it costs about $4.50 um, US dollars per watt installed um, for um, small solar systems, which is about three times as much. No, no it's actually about five times as much um, as what it does in Australia. And yeah. um, and and ditto. I mean, sort of bigger systems there are sort of slightly cheaper, and most of that comes in soft costs. It's not because we get sort of solar panels cheaper or anything like that, or inverters cheaper or, or or anything. It's really just the soft costs. It's the planning, it's the inspections, it's the permissions, and all those sort of things. So um, it just goes to show that sometimes when we you know look at our industry in despair and frustration at um, some of the things that go on, um, it could be a lot worse um, if you just think about um, what's <laughs> happening in the US industry. But um, but you know maybe maybe filling out the forms um, for those extra CER regulations. I mean may, maybe that might add um, a little bit, maybe a couple of hundred dollars for people's times. But um, gee, um, it could be uh, it could be significantly uh, it could be significantly more, or it is significantly more in the US anyway. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, this is the, um, you know, the eternal debate. And we've talked about this many times. And I've, I've actually been involved in a lot of different studies over the years, uh, especially in my consulting days, uh, helping to compare, you know, what made up the, the, the value stack or the cost stack in different countries around the world and what lessons we could all learn from each other. And, you know, ultimately, um, sadly, uh, the conclusion that is almost always drawn uh, on Australian residential solar in particular is it's way too cheap. 
uh, <laughs> you know, and, and you only have to look around the industry at how thin the margins are. And we, we've done a terrific job at driving the price down, but there's not much left on the table, which is why we have some of the problems that we do have. However, there are also some great lessons that we can teach the rest of the world around scale and simplicity. And we've got strong regulation. We've got strong programs. We've got some of the best training in the world. So we've, we've got some great lessons that we can share too. Um, and um, it's, a, it's a great segue actually to um, a lesson I learnt um, chatting on Great Solar Business for our episode next week. I haven't even talked about the great chat we had last week, Giles, but um, I stumbled across a mob in the US who um, have a really interesting pedigree and, and of experience of innovation in this space. And um, uh, uh, the, the, the short version is they have developed a way to make large-scale solar arrays where you don't need a mounting array. You literally put the panels on the dirt and tether them down. And I stumbled across this company, Earthos, and reached out to them and had an amazing chat about some of the very, very cool things that they're able to do with their solutions. Um, and the goal there, as you're talking about, their goal is to drive costs down. So they're talking about, you know, costs of 50 cents a watt installed for large-scale um, solar plants. And um, not just by stripping out essential items but actually but by actually just you know as they described it revolutionizing the way you look at what you need to do with a solar panel in a large scale array and uh i must admit my eyes were open they they um they uh, it was a it's uh, it's a fascinating conversation that's next week on gsb would that sort of technology work in the sunshine coast well of course that was my, one of my number one questions, Joel's, was have you read the news, Patrick? Because we we love a good flood down here. We love a good we love we love a good cyclone. We love a fire. Let's talk about how these products would survive that. So we actually dived into that in great detail. And there was some quite really literally. I mean quite literally. We we yeah. Boom, boom. We no, we did. We dived into it in detail um, because it was so um, you know, it was of the moment. And um, and the, the engineering principles that they're working on, the testing they've done, is amazing. It's amazing. And when you when when he explains it, you kind of go, ah, I hadn't thought of that. Of course, that makes sense. So, yeah, really fascinating. <laughs> You're teasing this very well, Nigel. I'm really impressed. But uh, why don't you tell us more about um, – I'm looking forward to listening to that. That, should, that sounds like a great um, um, a great interview, actually. And we did have an article on Earthos um, last week, um, which generated a lot of interest because uh, I just think these sort of technology uh, solutions um, are pretty interesting. Um, just remind us who, who you spoke to last week on uh, Great Solar Business. Oh, uh, Bobby McKinnon uh, from AWISE, Australian Women in Solar. Um, so, you know, a, a fitting celebration of um, International Women's Day and um, also a really, really interesting person. And, and um, you know, to be honest, Giles, I said, Bobby, let's, I'm, I'm, let's do this interview. I don't want platitudes. I don't want to talk about waffle. I don't want to talk about fluff. Let's talk about what an ageing, widening, middle-aged white guy can really do what can i really do how can i actually make a difference to overcome the imbalance that we have in society and it turned into a really interesting chat and um, lots of great feedback on that one from a few people who've picked it up already so if you haven't had a listen uh, i really tried to keep it you know real 
Yeah, we've got some commentary about the headline on that podcast, actually, about the sort of, you know, sort of challenging the blokey culture in the, in the solar industry. Do you actually think there is a blokey culture in the industry or is there just sort of elements of a blokey culture in the industry? Because there's a lot of women in the industry. There is a lot of women in the industry. And, you know, one of the insights that I discovered in the conversation is I've actually been very, very, I've been abnormal. In, I mean, abnormal in so many ways, Giles. But, you know, one of the abnormal things that's happened to me is I don't have an intrinsic feeling that there's a big problem around equality in the workplace because I have been surrounded since, for 30 years, I have been surrounded and worked with amazing, powerful, influential and highly successful women. Almost at every step of that 30-year process, I have worked with amazing women. So in my head, I've seen, you know, a lot of equality in the workplace, but of course, what what that the reality is that's quite unusual, and 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 especially when you get into contracting businesses, which is so many, so much of what we um, uh, of what our industry is made up of, there the, women and females aren't encouraged to go into the trade space. That's one of the big challenges. There's a bias, mm. uh, uh, an intrinsic bias, where a lot of the work that is done and a lot of the the trades that are undertaken naturally attract a much, much higher proportion of blokes. And the, 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 the ultimate gauge, if you want it, is to go to any solar industry conference and look at the ratio of, of women to men. It, it, is, um, it is certainly um, biased towards men. Um, it's not as bad as some industries, I think it's fair to say. Mm. And there's a, a great sense of awareness and you know progressiveness in our mm. industry, I think, generally. But um, we've still got a lot, a lot of work we can do to help overcome those imbalances. Yeah, and I recommend people listen to the interview with Bobby, and particularly if you're a white middle-aged man or even younger age or even older age. Um, <laughs> it's just good to actually sort of appreciate the perspective, um, which might not be the same as yours. Um, I think we might just uh, pause for a moment and take a message from one of our sponsors. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics. From just $40 a year, Solar Analytics can help solar owners save an extra $400 by recommending the ideal energy plan. There's no additional hardware required, just extra value. Solar Analytics, it's different. Learn more at solaranalytics.com.au. And of course, we'd like to thank all our sponsors, Sunwids, Cleanergy and Solar Analytics for their continued and ongoing support for this podcast. Um, Nigel, I, um, I don't think you've had a chance to listen to it yet, but we've got new theme music, so I hope you do enjoy that. And I hope all the listeners are enjoying the new theme music. Um, just a slight change, just wanted to freshen it up a bit. And um, I think we freshened up a couple of the uh, messages as well. And I just want oh, one clarification. This week's just full of excitement and news. I can't believe it. There's new music. I haven't even heard it. I don't even know how to get the vibe going now. What am I going to do? I don't know. I don't know. I have to actually listen to an episode. Oh, that'll help. Um, <laughs> it's, the, it's the podcast equivalent of a selfie at the airport, I think, Nigel. Um, just to clarify, one other thing that you said earlier in the, in the podcast too about sort of going to something tonight, um, because it takes about a day to put this up, um, that would have been on Wednesday night, so probably last night if you listen to this on Thursday or Wednesday night if you listen to it on Friday or at any other time. But um, just a point of clarification. Anyway, what else have we got on the menu, Nigel? Ah, uh, yes. 
interesting story out of New Zealand that popped up this week. So I'm not going to mention the company's name, but there was a, 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 some stuff that popped up on the socials that caused me to go um, uh, snooping around um, where there was a whole big swag of customer complaints. And, and it made the TV, it made the news, the story, it made the papers. It, it, you know, there was a bit of a hoo-ha about it. Uh, essentially, what was happening was a, a, a company over there is bundling up a combination of solar, finance, solar PPAs, and a retail deal as well. And, they, and they've essentially gone out to the market and offered this uh, to a bunch of people and said, "Hey, we can get you solar at no no dollars down. Um, uh, we can so we can use that to lower your bill, and we can give you a good energy rate. We can bundle this all together for you. So uh, change to us." Uh, and what ended up happening was a bunch of people said, oh, that sounds um, like a dream come true. So they swapped. And the reality is that what's happened is they have not got solar installed on their roof. They have simply been switched to a different retailer. Uh, now, there were some pretty candid interviews that, you know, there were some plausible stories about the fact that, you know, um, it was a startup and it was all happening very quickly and they had full intention. So the, one of the directors was interviewed. Um, turns out a branch of this company or, or another entity uh, is based in Australia, so the same company does have some representation in Australia. But right now, they what was I think really interesting to me, Giles, in the whole story was how um, when you when you bundle retail energy, solar finance, and PPAs together, you you're, there's a there's a potential big collision <laughs> of a lot of logistics to get right and a lot of pieces of the puzzle to get into place for that to be a very, very smooth consumer experience. And it seems logical, but it's actually really, really hard. And um, I think it'd be really interesting to watch and see, you know, we've seen this happen in the past in various different ways. It'd be really interesting to see if these guys can can patch this up. So one to watch. Sorry, did I get that right? Someone actually paid for a solar system or thought they paid for a solar system and didn't get one installed? Well, so the way that the solar systems are paid for is you basically sign up to a retail deal and if you choose solar as part of your retail deal, then effectively what's going to happen is you're going to pay the solar off as part of your retail deal, right? So they're bundling the finance and the PPAs and everything all together into a retail structure. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Okay. Have we got any more solar stuff before we move um, briefly on to EVs? No, there's much too exciting, uh, much too exciting, much too much exciting stuff in electric vehicles. I think. Well, mate, the price of petrol and diesel has gone up so far that it must make everyone want to buy an electric vehicle. The only problem in Australia is, um, good luck actually finding one because just about all the popular vehicles um, are really hard to get hold of. The, um, there's only a couple of hundred Polestars and a couple of hundred Volvos and a couple of hundred Ionic 5s and a couple of hundred EV6s and even the Model 3, you've now probably got to wait until early next year if you ordered now and got a delivery. Prices are going up. Um more rebates are around, such as Queensland. Um, just announced one today. Um, oh, but um, but um, but can't uh, get a vehicle. Supply. Can't get a vehicle. 
very hard to do. So um, it might be an opportunity for new players. Well, the MG have uh, were, were very successful with their sort of relatively low-priced um, ZS uh, EV, and they're doing an update of that. But that's probably coming out later on this year. But that could um, that could uh, if they've got enough supply, then they could actually really take off because people are pretty desperate for the EVs now. And also the BYD. Um, deal um, with EV Direct and selling what's the rebadged Atto EVs. So there's one for about mid 40s, and I think there's another one coming out in the mid 50s or something like that. But there sounds like there might be plenty of supply for those. So we might see a majority Chinese-made electric vehicles in Australia um, rather than the traditional brands. Sometime very soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm with you. I mean, uh, you know, I saw petrol at two dollars forty-five a litre yesterday. What? Um, down here in Sydney, yeah, two dollars forty-five, my friend. So you know, that's a fairly extraordinary price, and I'm seeing that too. The conversations and the frustrations of people going, "This is this is really starting to hurt." In fact, the Uber driver on the way from the cab today was talking about it, saying, "You know, this changes um, this changes the dimension of what I'm doing here." In fact, I paid mm-hmm. a surcharge. Uber have introduced a surcharge. Um, to try and offset these uh, fuel costs. But you're, you're exactly right. There's no near-term solution. And, of course, this doesn't affect just Australia. Uh, the prices have gone through the roof in the US and you know, most countries for fuel as well. So it's great news for the EV industry in terms of stimulating demand, but no near-term solution in terms of uh, meeting that demand, I suspect. No, and one of the problems is that the that many of the same forces which are driving up the price of um, oil and petrol are also driving up the cost of EVs. So supply chain disruptions, um, surging price of lithium. So we've just seen in the last, um, well, we've seen this week the price of Tesla Model 3s in Australia jump by between three and $4,000. We've seen rises for other EVs. We've seen the premium range Teslas in the US um, and the new Rivians um, drop, jump up by around about ten dollars or $12,000 US. I mean, you can't actually yeah. buy the premium models, the flagship models in Australia um, at the moment um, for Tesla. Um, and I guess the person that you can blame for all this is um, good old Scotty from marketing because um, he was the idiot that just sort of said they're going to ruin your weekend and they can't tell you about and all that sort of stuff. Um, wouldn't, adjust, wouldn't adjust his policies. And um, that just basically sort of pissed off most of the uh, major car makers. So yeah. they've all sort of focused and directed all their supply to other markets in the US and in China um, and in Europe in particularly. Uh, seven of the top 10 selling models in Europe you can't buy in Australia because they, they're just not being taken out here. The two VWs, the new Renault, a um, whole bunch of other vehicles. And um, that's a tragedy. And that's not a supply block that's going to be unblocked um, very soon, apart from those vehicles from China. So, well done, Angus, and good on you, Scotty. Yeah, 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 it's completely second that. The egg on their face now because had they actually got a little bit progressive instead of being Luddites around this issue and just opened their minds up a little bit, we, our market would be um, a much more vigorous and active market and we'd have a lot more supply and people people wouldn't be paying extortionate price or less people would be being affected by this. So, you know, yeah. nice one. Well, you never nice saw one, guys. Well, you never saw- you never saw Angus Taylor move so quickly as when there was um, that supply for the additive they need for the diesel motors, and his 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 one in particular. Uh, there was going to be a shortfall, and there was concerns that sort of diesel trucks wouldn't be able to operate because they didn't have this sort of additive, which was crucial to the diesel engine. I can't think the name of it now. It's something or other. Now, yeah, there you go. There you go. He moved swiftly as anything to make sure that the supplies were there because um, he wanted to keep on driving his sort of Ford SUV around the place, but. Um, 
didn't move so quickly on the energy transition or the electric vehicle market. So um, there you go. It shows that they can move when they want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, uh, uh, going the other direction, looking at, um, you know, how progressive rulemaking and, and, and progressive thinking can be so profoundly effective. We saw a little bit of history happen this week, Giles, which is actually a small thing but incredibly profound. We actually saw something incredibly historic, and it's this. The National Highway Safety Administration Authority in the U.S., granted permission to build and deploy a self-driving vehicle without human controls, like steering wheels or, or brake pedals. Now, that that might seem like a no-brainer, but the rules didn't allow it. You could not build a car without a steering wheel and, and controls for a human. It was illegal. You simply couldn't do it because the regulations wouldn't let you. And lots and lots of lobbying and have to give credit where it's due. This was predominantly down to General Motors, according to the press. Uh, they worked and worked and worked, and they now have the rules changed. Uh, vehicles that are designed solely for operating uh, as an autonomous vehicle um, uh, don't no longer require human driving controls. So it is now finally, and this is the historic piece, it is now legal to build a car that is not required, does not require a human operator in the US. Now, there's a lot more to flow from this, of course, before we'll actually see these vehicles on the road. But step one is progressive thinking. Step two is getting the regulations updated from, you know, the early 1900s to allow this type of technology to, to move in. So I thought it was a really cool bit of history. Well, indeed. Uh, I wonder if they took their tip from the Australian government, no one in the driver's seat, no steering wheel, um, no policies, um, basically just an autonomous. <laughs> yeah, so the, gov the government has been useful for something. Um, but, but it does remind me, actually, of those old, um, of those old, uh, the stories that, that, that still go around. I mean, I, we were, I think I wrote one about five or six years ago, and I was talking about autonomous driving and how that will switch. And it's, it's hard to imagine now, and especially in the sort of the back roads up here, that you know you get a car to sort of drive by itself. But the prediction is that by 2030, if you listen to Tesla, you know, um, within a few years, fully autonomous driving will be available, and we're going to enter a world of robo taxis and things like that. Now, I imagine they're going to happen in the big cities and. Stuff like that, and maybe in sort of marked out areas and stuff like that. And, um, it could be that once this technology comes in and it's proven, then it'll be the insurers who drive that change because they've decided that humans aren't very good at driving and they're not going to insure them anymore. So maybe that's going to drive that change. But um, I remember publishing a story about six years ago, and I might have told the story once too often already, but um, it was the most popular story we've ever published on Renew Economy, and the reaction was really funny because it came from the, sort of the deep south and the US, a lot of them, and saying, I got my truck and I got a gun and you ain't having my car, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to be <laughs> Keep yeah. on driving it. So, um, yeah. um, but anyway, but look, it's fascinating to think about an autonomous future. Um, it's sometimes you can kind of see the attraction of it. You wonder how the hell we're actually going to implement that transition, particularly in sort of regional areas here. Um, yeah, it won't, yeah. Be, it won't, for every, won't be for every application and it won't be for every part of the world and it'll happen fairly slowly, I suspect. But, I mean, I've actually been in, uh, in an autonomous um, no-driver vehicle already. There was one down at um, the former Mitsubishi site in Adelaide and um, there was a little bus, just a little bus on test there and it just did a little circuit around the, around the site and, you know, there was no driver. 
it was just an autonomous vehicle and there were a bunch of ways that you could you know use that vehicle autonomously and it was just chugging around and in a very closed loop kind of safe scenario um but you know it's it's not a huge leap forward to think of other applications where when you're doing monotonous routes or or or, or, or you know uh, continuous back and forth shuttle runs to the airport and stuff like that like i'll have to do tomorrow um yeah they're the types of applications that i think will come more quickly i wonder if autonomous cars going to beep each other <laughs> i don't know <laughs> I don't know if we want to build emotion into the robots, Giles. I think, I think we've been warned about that. Well, particularly on anger and frustration, that could be uh, that could be a nasty payback, actually. Oh, no, dear. No, um, no. Mm, anything yeah. else, Nigel? Or should we... Yes. Um, one more, yes. one more quick one. One more quick one, which I think is also very exciting because Moto uh, Moto E has uh, kicked off, or the testing has kicked off for this season, which is always exciting if you're into into technology. Um, it's the last year that Energica will be running before Ducati take over next year, and uh, Energica uh, announced their new bikes and have got them out on the track for testing now. Um, really impressive uh, evolution from year to year, which is the wonderful thing about the, the racing delivers. Uh, they've shed six percent off the weight of the bikes. Um, over the years, so from 262 to 247 kilos. That was all done through the development of a new motor and inverter. Um, now, it's still a long way off the sort of 157 kilos for a MotoGP bike, a top-class bike, so we're still a bit on the on the plump side, but um, shedding that amount of weight is, is really material and totally changes the characteristics of the bike. Um, I'm not going to read through all of this really cool stuff that I've written here because it's very, very long. But the other thing that is most interesting is they've moved um, from a permanent magnet synchronous AC motor to a synchronous reluctance motor. Now, I am not a magnetics and, um, uh, and, and electric motor expert by any means. But what I do know in the simplest version is this. By moving to a synchronous reluctance motor, and a new type of inverter, they are able to dynamically shift the magnetic flux in a motor. And and, and the, the torque that you get from a motor and the speed at which that motor can spin is all a combination of magnetic flux and magnetic flows and resistance and stuff like that. This is the simple Nige sales guide done old guy version but what they've been able to do with advances in inverter technology is dynamically and incredibly rapidly shift that so that when you twist the throttle if you want more torque it actually it's like changing the windings in the motor without actually changing the windings they're actually changing the way the motor behaves so that you can therefore get more torque out of it when you need it but if you don't need torque and you need high speed they change the magnetic flows in the motor and they can actually rev it to much much higher rpm the other things that the, the benefit, some of the side benefits that that gets is, um, where is it, where is it, where is it? You get lower operating temperatures, you get less load on the bearings, and all of those things mean higher efficiency. So they've actually extracted about another 3 or 4% efficiency out of the bike. So terrific final year for Energica and in, in their evolution towards getting these track bikes uh, up and running the riders are loving them they're slightly different they behave differently now and their, their, their performance and handling and everything has changed because of the change dynamics but what's really cool apart from what an amazing job energica has done is they've lifted the bar so now ducati when they come in next year with their big brand and their big name and take over the series man they've got to go better 
And so we're going to see this tech um, pushed even further by them, and it won't be long before we start to see this tech starting to flow down into vehicles that you and I can buy. Giles, um, personally, you know, one of these um, synchronous reluctance motors and uh, dynamic converters is on my wish list for Christmas. <laughs> Michael, I think you're making uh, – sorry, not Michael. Um, what did I say, Michael? Nigel, you're making a very strong case for an electric motorcycle podcast, I think. It's, um, <laughs> it's uh, the detail and the enthusiasm. Um, I just remind the listeners that the relevance to this podcast is the fact that we'll be using solar panels to charge those electric vehicles and those electric motorbikes um, sometime very soon. Um Nigel, I think that's a better wrap, I think. Um, just a reminder to check in your great solar business podcast from last week, the interview with Bobby, uh, just about some of the gender issues within the industry and look out for what sounds like an exciting interview with the um, the, 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 the ground-mounted Earth people. What's the, what's the company called again? Earthco. Earthos. No. Earthos. Earthos. Mm. There you go. Yeah, down, down and dirty. Down and dirty with uh, ground-mounted rays, if you titled it. Yeah, <laughs> look forward to it. Mate. Um, that's good. Um, look, there's also some um, other good podcasts. Uh, we did Chris Bowen, um, Labour Energy Spokesman on The Driven um, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's just bought himself a Tesla and he's talking about the Labour's EV policies and their energy policies. And we've had a great series of interviews on the Energy Insiders podcast, including Mike Cannon-Brooks, the Chief Operating Officer from Snowy Hydro, Um uh, Origin Energy CEO Frank Calabria this week and next week Fortescue Industries and behind their big Ooh. hydrogen and green energy push. So, um, and a queue of people wanting to join us on that podcast. So that's great too. So look, thanks for that. Thanks, of course, to our sponsors as usual, um, Sunwiz, Clenergy and uh, Solar Analytics. Thanks to you, Nigel. Um, I do look forward to your reaction when you do hear the new theme music for this podcast. And I hope you have a great time <laughs> at all these... Um, at, um, it's not the old Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun, or whatever it is. That's probably not even the Beatles song, but anyway, maybe it should be. Um, cost us a packet. Um, Nigel, um, Nigel, um, best of, um, well, um, best of luck and congratulations to everybody at the Pioneers, um, dinner on Friday night, 25 years in the industry. Absolutely fantastic. Um, it'd be great to hear some of the stories from there. And, I am taking my microphone. I just want a warning for everyone. I'm taking the mic kit. So I'm going to try and fantastic. see if I can sneak a few little interviews in. Oh, fantastic. I won't have to say anything in next week's podcast or the next, the next podcast. Absolutely. You'll have it all under wraps. Nigel, thanks once again, mate. Enjoy Melbourne. Enjoy the dinner. Thanks, and we'll be back in a fortnight. Cheers. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. Offering a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers, SunWiz will help you differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation. Visit sunwiz.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics. You can now offer Solar Analytics from just $40 per year by connecting it directly to Fronius and SunGrow inverters. No additional hardware is required, just extra value. Solar Analytics, it's different. 
Learn more at solaranalytics.com.au.